The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of federal marketing. Now, your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here today with literally the godfather of proposal graphics, uh, Mike Parkinson. Michael, welcome to the show, man. I am excited to be here. I know you're uncomfortable with that, Sobergat, but you know it, it does apply. You're, you're a graphics guru. You wrote the definitive book on this, and we'll get into that. But uh, give people a little, uh, little of the background on Mike Parkinson, please. Well, not a big fan of talking about myself because proof is in the pudding. Just know that I'm a geek. I love this stuff. I live and breathe it. I do everything in my life to help people achieve their goals using what I've learned from other smart people and through trial and error. I focus on persuasion, and persuasion can be visual. It can be textual, a hybrid of the two. It can be oral. So I'm looking at behavioral psychology, using the latest stuff, and helping people win more proposals and be more successful. For whom do you do this? (laughs) Uh, a lot of the companies you'll, you'll recognize, Raytheon, Boeing, Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, Morton's, Disney. Um, Anybody that needs help with proposals, it's got a checkbook. Pretty much. you know. There's a lot of companies out there that are doing proposals, not just government, not just federal government. Yeah. Oh, so uh, you did mention a few non-federal in there. So you guys aren't necessarily focused on this market, but you happen to reside here. Uh, I would say uh, we reside here and we're focused on it because we reside here. But our reputation is such that we tend to get other clients. Well, your speaking gigs certainly take you elsewhere. The company is 24-hour company, 24hrco.com. The whole graphics thing, you know, I've been in this business for over 35 years now. I don't recall graphics being a big to-do back then. So – when did these images start becoming not only more important but absolutely critical? Well, lately they're becoming more critical partly because we're seeing that proposals are getting shorter and shorter. So we have to communicate more in less space and graphics are going to do that for lots of different reasons more efficiently than text alone. But uh, I started in the industry in in proposals about 24 years ago, and uh, 24-hour company at that point in time was four years old already. And we noticed a huge jump, especially in orals. So we've seen a lot of orals back about 24, 20 years ago. Orals were more prevalent, and then uh, it kind of went the way of the dodo. But um, I was talking to a few people. (coughs) who have been in the industry for many, many, many years, and uh, the evolution of graphics kind of was uh, in alignment with the ubiquity or the availability of computer graphics, meaning that it was paced up. It was just too costly to do it, time-consuming. Right. And then when we switched to having something like a Macintosh with some desktop publishing, as graphics became more— Absolutely. Mac paint, for God's sake. Yeah. But wacky things like that. Then as uh, the average folk could get their hands on this technology, they were able to implement it more because they, they knew it mattered, but they just didn't have the resources to do it. 
So that I noticed it kind of the evolution is hockey sticking up as now more and more people can do it. Okay. So first book was Billion Dollar Graphics. Yes. Number one, great title. <laughs> Provocative, trying to be. Yeah, yeah. But it, but it's true because without the graphics, you're going to be the 12-cent yeah, proposal. Pretty much. Um, so in this past decade, have the proposals shrunk even more and is the use of graphics expanding? Yes, absolutely. In the last 10 years, I've seen uh, proposals get shorter and shorter. Once we had about 100 pages to do a technical response, now we have 10 for a big effort. It's crazy. So now – Because the, the contracting officers no longer have to pretend they're reading 100 pages. Exactly. <laughs> They've been saying it for years. Answer the freaking question. When we put out an RFP, we're asking you questions. Answer the question. And – they don't know how else to say it anymore other than we're going to give you 10 page to answer the freaking questions. It's almost impossible now. Part of that is frustration and part of that is the evolution of the procurement cycle. It's simply becoming shorter and shorter or at the very least the uh, evaluators are more resource starved. So they have to do more with less. You'll love this. And I, I teach a graduate class at GW once a year and the uh, the only program in the country that's a graduate program for government contracts. Nice. Okay, But I teach the marketing class. No paper is accepted if it's over 400 words. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. It's true. Yeah. I, you know, I don't want you know, I know if I give them more than 400 words, there's going to be a lot of crap in there that I don't want to read. That's exactly uh, it. And that's going to lead to an important thing that, um, that I cannot stress enough. We are living in an at-a-glance society. We, we no longer want our information request our information to be clear and succinct. We require it. If we do not find what we need efficiently, then we leave. Yeah, the, sh the shrinking attention span, especially for professors at GW um, or adjuncts, I should say. Um, but everybody, you know, the instant gratification offered by how many mobile devices are you carrying <laughs> is annoying as heck to me. Um, I am not addicted to my phone like a lot of people. Uh, half the time I don't remember to take it with me. The other half it's not on. Right. Uh, so <laughs> unless I need the maps. You're probably a better person than I am. Uh, well, yeah, but I'm, I want them in front of a desktop, you know, LinkedIn's on all the time. Well, there you, know. you go. Uh, you get so, your fix. Yeah, my, my, my fix is there. But let's focus on the, the issues for – Contractors that are not employing graphics in their proposals. Um, do we have any indication as to win rates uh, versus those with? You know, it's difficult to associate win rates with just graphics. Right. Because winning a government contract, it's a multivariable equation. It's not a, if you do this, you will win. Right. So um, tracking win rates, yes, we have noticed, we have circumstantial, circumstantial evidence that Visuals make a big difference. For example, when I wrote the first book, the billion-dollar graphics book, I asked about 100 evaluators how important it is to have visuals. And they gave me – at first, they gave me the it, it doesn't matter answer because <laughs> legally they're not supposed to be influenced by it. But I do have an RFP at home that basically reads, uh, please don't use graphics in your proposal. Please don't use fancy graphics in your RFP, in your proposal because it unfairly influences the evaluators. So they're aware of the fact that it doesn't. 
the issue that, that I found was, um, number one, they said, what's your solution? And number two is, why should we pick you? And uh, I remember a gentleman by the name of Greg Gridden said, look, we're like you. We are tired. We're hungry. We're distracted. Please, please, please give us an overview graphic to make our jobs easier. Tell us what your solution is and why should we, why should we pick you? Because after 200 pages of this stuff, it looks like ants. And I'm as paraphrasing it, but it's dang right. close to the quote. So does it matter? Yes. Does it increase win rates? Yes. How much? I couldn't tell you. Do winning proposals have no graphics? Absolutely. Usually it's because they know the decision makers very well and they've already created a great rapport, captured did an amazing job. Therefore, they're going to win independent of good graphics or not. I was working with a company called – well, I can't tell you the name of the company. I was working with a company, did training, graphics training. All the people in the room, we have subject matter experts, graphic designers, proposal writers, proposal managers, some capture people. They said, this is amazing. We love this stuff and we'll never do it. And I said, why? And they said, because our win rate's 98%. And I said, why did you pay for training? Why did you invest in talent development if you have a 98% win rate? They said, uh, because they knew they needed to do it because their their proposals were devoid of graphics and they knew – Looking at their competitors, they needed to do it. That's the evolution. We're seeing it happen. We live in an attic land society. All the evidence is around us. But the reason why they won is because they were a company of PhDs selling to PhDs. Ah. Yes. Always helps to uh, to be amongst them. Yes. So Mensa people selling to Mensa people. <laughs> yes. Great way to say it. All right. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Hour Center on Federal News Radio part of the Federal News Network. I will be back with Mr. Mike Parkinson right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here today with Mike Parkinson, who is literally a a, a, a graphics guru. Uh, two books out. One, uh, Billion Dollar Graphics, which came out, what, about eight years ago now? Oh, uh, six, maybe. Oh, wow. Yeah. Longer than I yeah, thought. Yeah, different okay. versions of it as, as time went by. Okay. Well, I have two um, <laughs> somewhere. Uh, and a tr- the new one, A Trainer's Guide to PowerPoint, which is uh, fascinating. And I'm actually trying to I'm trying to implement some of the stuff you talk about. Brilliant. Because I have some plain Jane PowerPoints um, or relatively. There's plain. a time and a place for plain Jane. Well, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm the show. The PowerPoint's just – don't have to take notes. Fair um, enough. <laughs> so um, major mistakes that companies make in the, uh, uh, you know, going after an RFP. Well, four come to mind that I've seen over and over again in the last 10 years especially. Number one is failing to connect the dots. When I say failing to connect the dots, what I mean is that people present their solution and they fail to connect it back to what the customer cares most about. So they've, they've got a point A and they never make to point B. No, absolutely not. <laughs> most often they start talking about their solution and their, te- their technical prowess and so forth, but they never say how that solves the specific uh, the, challenge. The I, me syndrome? Uh, absolutely. You know, most, the reason I, I say most proposals loose is because they're written by the author for the author. It's not the case. And they're patting themselves on the back all the way to not winning. You better believe it. Okay. The, the other is this, and it, it dovetails perfectly, the micro to macro approach. When I say micro to macro, what I mean is 
They start in the weeds first and then hope that it eventually leads to this epiphany, this story, this overarching story. Instead, uh, go macro to micro. Start with the big picture first and go down because we know the micro. Well, solution providers, they know the micro. They know how to technically do the job. But to, but to be able to connect it back to what the customer really wants, why did they ask this? What are, what's the customer's hopes, fears, and biases? They fail to do that, and that demonstrates understanding. And the government's almost, almost uh, in every RFP I read is demonstrate understanding. Connecting the dots demonstrates that, that understanding. And then, again, it kind of uh, goes hand in hand. They make the proposal about them and not the customer. The customer is the hero not the solution provider. The solution provider uh, is not the smartest person in the room, despite what I've heard when I'm co-located with them. They are not the smartest person. The government, the, the people that work for the government are brilliant. They know what throat to choke to make something happen. That person sitting in the chair doesn't necessarily know the eccentricities that the government uh, person has to deal with. And to, to be so um, uh, bold is to say that they know more about the the government's needs, and that's it's dangerous. Yeah, it's important to know the customer, <laughs> but don't say you know more than they correct. Do. It's it's a marriage made in heaven. And then the fourth thing that I've seen is uh, uh, I'm going back to this at a glance communication. We that's where we live. We want our information to be clear and succinct. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard a read a question in the RFP, and the answer should have been, yes, we do, and here's the proof. And instead, the answer was, at Company X, we've uh, spent many years uh, uh, thinking about and debating and uh, putting our energies into finding solutions that would be aligned with the, for heaven's sake, just say yes, give the information, and move on to the next thing. Because the evaluator's distracted at best. They're skimming. They're trying to find the answers to the questions. Pick who's going to win based on what reason. Okay. Um, so slightly – let me skew this a little bit. Um, so you help companies when when they're going after a particular bid. Do you have clients that you work with on a regular basis to try to help them structure their bidding processes? Yes, yes. In fact, uh, one of our comp- one of the clients uh, said, "Hey, you know what you did for us during the proposal would be valuable during capture." So what we started doing, for example, was to uh, meet with the people that know the customer the best. Say, "Tell me more about this opportunity," and then put together a potential solution, and then use that. We'd sketch it out, sketch it out on a piece of paper, something nice and fancy. Mm-hmm. But then the capture manager would go meet with the, the, the prospect, the customer, and say, hey, I've met with my team. We think we might have a solution for you. And then on the back of a napkin or a scrap piece of paper, they start sketching this very rudimentary story that we worked very hard on a week before and then say, what do you think? And then they get gold from the, from the prospect, from the customer, because they say where they're right and where they're wrong. They're pre-selling and they're finding out what solution they really, really want or if they're going down a rabbit hole. Cool. We do it for strat- We do the same thing for orals. We do the same thing for coming up with win themes and other strategies to win the proposal. It's all about the customer and understanding what they need and finding that information, getting that insight as soon as possible. Okay. Um, so, but but is is the bulk of your work 
somebody comes to you and says, we're pursuing this help. So it's like a, a one shot. It may be a repeat customer, but it's a one shot gig. Yeah. Most, Probably most a repeat customer. Yeah. All. Yes. Yeah. So success rates do that. Yes. When what we so. are, are the reason why we're been around for 28 years and the reason why we're, we've done what we've done is because once someone's worked with us, they, they're pretty much always a client. Okay. So um, a, a question that I get, and I don't know why I get it because, again, I'm not a proposal guy, but is there a difference in responding to a, a task order uh, than an RFP? So you are definitely the expert at contract vehicles relative to IM. I've done a spectrum of tour responses and mm-hmm. RFQs and so forth. What I can tell you is that best practices are best practices, meaning that uh, an oral's best practice is an oral's best practice no matter what I'm responding to, a GWAC tour or anything like that. Now, there are eccentricities. A written best practice is a written best practice. There are eccentricities. For example, a FedSim bid is typically thought of as a written proposal presented in PowerPoint. So that becomes a hybrid of best practices. So – when I'm dealing with a small task order response or a large RFP response, I'm still going to hold true to those things that have proven very effective. I just might have a lower page count to do so. Okay. The reason I ask that and probably the reason I get the question is, as you know at this point, some of the, the IDIQs and GWACs out there are awarding task orders that are fairly significant in size. Yes, absolutely. And, and they're essentially an RFP. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So so the same rules would apply. Same rules apply. It's because the only reason is, is because human beings are involved. If you strip human beings out of the equation, we'd have different rules. Okay. So um, what, what about when, when a company wants to bid on a GWAC that's coming up? You help on those too? Yes, we do. Yes, we okay. do. Help oh, I, get I, the hunting I, license. I, I may be able to send some business your way when when a few of them open again. Um, happy to help. Uh, I'm 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 happy to recommend more than one company because different personalities work different ways. You better believe it. So, um, I mean, I don't recommend anybody that's not really good at what they do, yes. and I don't recommend anybody I don't like. Well, good. Hopefully, so, hopefully you like me and you think I'm good at what I do. I know you're good at what you do because, you know, it, we'll, we'll get into this the, af, right after this break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'll be back with Mike right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm here today with Mike Parkinson of 24-Hour Company, 24HRCO.com. Um, they they are a proposal firm. Uh, they they can help you top to bottom. Uh, Michael is known as you know Godfather of of graphics or the graphic guru. Uh, he's just really friggin' good at it, and we'll get there in a minute. Um, you and I uh, in, in the last twelve years, I've spoken at the APMP conference ten times, um, for which I'm very grateful. Thank you, APMP. NCA. Um, in those 10 appearances, I've always been up against you except one time. And I got to see you speak once and it, it blew me away. Your, 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 
you're a natural in front of the audience and you give out just a, a ton of really good information. So it kind of – I think they bring me in because they need people who will fill – you know, take up a space in another room because Mike's going to fill up the big room. Uh, <laughs> that is certainly not the case. And uh, the flip side is true. I've seen you speak one time and you are amazing. Uh, and my favorite word now is amazeballs. You were absolutely amazeballs. And I learned so much. In fact, you were speaking about the power of LinkedIn and giving uh, – tools, tips, and tricks on how to leverage it. And everything you said, I went and did and saw a huge exponential bump in benefit from the tool. So thank you very much. I love when that happens. I um, love when that happens too. Yeah, but you know, in in, in that respect, our presentations are, are very similar. You know, if you get the opportunity to speak at a significant event or a small event, doesn't matter, any event, add value, give Ugh. people stuff they can do. Drop the platitudes, leave them at the door, leave them at home, put them under your car and run over them, uh, and give people stuff that they can do. Yes, absolutely. Give value. Uh, I remember somebody saying, help enough people achieve their goals, you'll achieve your goals. Yeah. And and we'll, we'll, we'll only touch on this for a minute, but your ability to present has led you to uh, – you, you, you now have speaker representation. Well, I'm, 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 I've been told I can have speaker representation. I'm looking into it now. I'm just too busy sawing to sharpen the saw, so to speak. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking at the, it right the, now. The, yes. the Steve Cubby tenant. Doing more um, keynotes, yes. Yeah, but I mean, you know, the last time I knew you traveled was to Australia to speak there. <laughs> yeah, I did a keynote in Australia, <laughs> South Africa. Yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome because keynotes give me a chance to speak to a broader audience about things that, that really, really matter. Well, you know, it's, and I, I told you about this book before, but there's a book about how Archimedes Codex was found. And after they found it, uh, you know, they, they cleaned the other crap off the pages. But it's like 90% graphics. Yes. Why? Because the words at the time could not convey what he was trying to tell people. Uh, and and the pictures are just absolutely cool. If you want to see it, you can get it uh, – you you can visit it at the Walters Gallery in Baltimore. Very cool, very uh, cool place. I've been yeah, it, it it is absolutely cool. Uh, I don't know if the book's out on. You certainly can't touch it. No, but uh, I think it's still out on display. So um, so so you have the the the, the books out, uh, but um, your your presentation at APMP real solutions to unrealistic schedules. Um, give, because I missed it, give me the, the thumbnail of that presentation, please. Well, the, um, the, the, the premise was, first of all, you had, to, you had to set up there's three rules because if these three rules aren't adhered to, we will not be able to achieve our goals. And the, the three are embrace change. Change is inevitable. The powers that be must agree. We must have management buy-in because if they're fighting us on it, we're not going to get very far. And one size does not fit all. What might work for one company may work, may not work for another company. So that was the foundation. Okay, we all agree to that. Then we moved forward. And I said that all the solutions we're going to come up with are going to fit into three buckets. And those three buckets are skills, methods, and tools. And the number one takeaway for the skills component was that availability is not a skill. Just because someone's available doesn't mean you should have them working on your proposal. Instead, you look for the right skill. Like some, for example, um, I was talking to someone about this. Her name's Lisa Whittles, and she recently retired from the industry, having worked many, many years. She said, "Sometimes I just need an Excel nerd." 
That's all I need. I don't need a person who can figure it out over a certain period of time. I need someone to do it really quickly right now so I can move on to the next next task. And then the um, the methods, the, the biggest takeaway from the methods was that uh, we want to uh, uh, take a subtractive approach to how we do proposals. What I mean by that is don't try to make a bigger, better system. Instead, stop doing things that are wasting your time. And the story that I used was how Japanese firms kicked our tuckuses in the 70s when we started making TVs because they said, well, we're obviously not going to be able to compete with you for uh, the, the quality of TVs and so forth. So what we're going to do is we're going to find a more efficient way to make TVs. So they started finding ways to make TVs faster with, uh, with, with parts that were more efficient to use and lasted longer and so forth. So they didn't have to retool them or, or – The Deming effect. What's that? The Deming effect. Deming went over to Japan after World War II and helped them set up their industrial base to make it efficient. That's what it was all about. So in 1974, you saw that uh, service calls for uh, American TVs were about five times that of Japanese. And then in 1979, it took American workers three times as long to make them. And what – uh, what Japanese figured out was the most efficient way to do it. So stop wasting time on doing things that uh, don't get us where we need to go. And so then we provided tools on how to do that, very specific tools, how to make it easier. Okay. Yes. So this, that's what I missed. That that was in a but, nutshell but, the methods. But, but I missed the presentation. <laughs> <laughs> The, the geekiness, yes. It was fun because well, no, man, everybody's you're, so you're passionate. You're fun to watch. I, I have a lot of energy, which is why I cut out caffeine because I think I'd vibrate through the floor. <laughs> It'd be bad. Well, I, I'd probably not off if I didn't do caffeine, but uh, <laughs> you're you're a few years younger than me. so And you're you're a lot of energy too, my friend. <laughs> we'll, we'll let that one go. Um, so um, I, I want to touch on, on the books. Uh, so Billion Dollar Graphics, what was, what was the impetus for – for putting this out other than the fact that you knew a lot about it and you were studying, you know, all of the cognitive stuff that, that, that you do study. Um, what what was the big driver? The big driver was, uh, we wanted to help more people and our audience was relatively small. So we said, well, how do we help more people? And we thought, well, what if, there was a gentleman by the name of Edward Tufte, and he's a thought leader on visual communication. Yeah, I get his emails once a year. <laughs> yes, and he's a character. And um, we said, what if Edward Tufte worked here? What would be a game changer? So obviously we're not going to go hire Edward Tufte no, to work at bucks. 24-hour company. <clears throat> yes. So we said, uh, well, how did Edward Tufte become Edward Tufte? Well, he helped people. He provided information. He did a lot of research, and he put it out there for something that people could – consume relatively easy. Now, his books are a heavy read, but still, he's putting it out there for us to read. So that was the start of my journey. I said, I'll, I'll write a book. I'll do the research. I'll start public speaking. I'll do the things that it takes to help people and then build that trust. And you know, Mark, you and I have talked about this a few times. Trust is the closest thing to a silver bullet. If you help people and they trust you, that you have their best interest at heart, they're more likely to agree and buy and work yeah. with you. But the you know the the other thing, and I think it parallels mine because my book came out two years before yours. My first book uh, was there was a void in the market knowledge. When I wrote Government Marketing Best Practices, 
there hadn't been a book written about the government market in over a decade. The government market. Hello. I know. Um, you it's know, a big market. <clears throat> and 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 no book. So, you know, yeah, sure. Hell, I'll go. Uh, give it to Mark. He'll and do anything. And you write a great book, a great book <laughs> because of it. I told some stories, a um, few of which resonated. But, you know, the the second book, Trainer's Guide to PowerPoint, number one, uh, Death by PowerPoint is not here yet. No. Um, al- although there are practitioners out there who seem to be trying to drive the nails into the coffin. Yes. Um, but um, you were actually retained to do this. Yes, different industry. So I'm out there doing my thing for business development, and uh, somebody stumbled upon what I do and said, you know, this would be great for educators as well. And, I, boy, talk about being scared. Hey, I want you to do some training for trainers. I was terrified I'd mess up. And I realized after a few years of doing it, it's the same stuff. Why? Because human behavior is human behavior, whether I'm doing education or sales. It requires engagement. It requires trust. It requires all those things that I've learned about how the brain makes decisions. So they said, uh, hey, you're a, you're a geek. In fact, I'm one of, I believe now it's 36 PowerPoint MVPs in the world. So Microsoft came up to me and said, hey, you're a dork. Or you're a geek. You're really into this stuff. Not a dork. I Well, maybe I am. Yeah. But you're a geek. You know a lot about this stuff. You help a lot of people. You're not a jerk face. Would you like to be a PowerPoint MVP? And I'm a, pretty much an Adobe guy, and I said, mm, I don't know. Well, I got to tell you, Microsoft uh, put out an amazing tool in the last few years. PowerPoint has gotten better and better and better. So uh, at the same time, uh, this agency or this group called ATD, the Association for Talent Development, asked me to write a book, create a course for them, and the rest has been history. So I put the book out there, and it's using very similar best practices to what one would do for a oral proposal and it's doing it for a education market. Yeah, and I, I've been reading this one for a couple of weeks now, and and believe me, it's really good. A trainer's guide to PowerPoint. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Mike and I will be back to wrap up right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm here with Mike Parkinson. Again, you can find Mike at 24hourcompany24hrco.com. Uh, Mike is a principal at 24hour company, and, and they are a proposal firm, and Mike is known especially, if you haven't figured it out yet, for graphics. Um, so let's, let's do a couple of, uh, of tips, your top tips, for helping companies win more business. Well, the, the – few that come to mind are empathizing with our customer. That's really critical, getting into our customers' heads. And one of the tools that I use is something that I think I came up with, but I'm sure someone else smarter than me had figured it out long, a long time ago, and I call it the HFB mind map. And basically the way it works is on a, on a white piece of paper or a whiteboard, I write hopes, fears, and biases in the center. And then I start to fill out uh, mind map style what those hopes are. And once I fill it out for the hopes, the fears, and the biases, then I look for things that appear over and over and over again, and that becomes one of the key one, two, or three drivers for my customer. So I'm empathizing with them. What keeps them up at night? What are their hopes, what are their fears, and what are their biases? And then I use that to craft messaging and strategy around that. Um, The other one is an ATB matrix. This is the as-is, to-be, and barriers matrix. So essentially, this is my proposal. 
So I write down, I pick a specific component in the proposal, in the solution, and I say, all right, what is the as-is state for this component? What is the to-be state? If I could wave a magic wand, what would it be? And then what are the barriers? What's keeping it from happening? And then I set off the because the proposal is removing those barriers for them to get to their goal state. Again, all of this is from the perspective of the customer and not what the solution provider wants to say. It's what the customer needs to hear in order to win. So it's really focusing on customer first from that perspective. And then, of course, the antithetical <clears throat> things, uh, things that are antithesis to what I mentioned earlier, uh, use at-a-glance communication. Find more efficient ways. And I don't mean pretty pictures. I mean find the no most – No CAD videos? No CAD videos. You know, if a CAD video works for my audience, use it. And that's the thing. It's It doesn't matter. I can't tell you how many times I've – Senior managers, how CEOs have come in and said, I don't like it. And I politely have to say, I, so what? So what? It's okay <laughs> that you don't like it. What matters is, does it resonate with your customer? Unless you're going to write the $300 million check. Right. If you are, then yes, we want you to like it. The other one is uh, connecting those dots. It's really, really important to connect the dots. Go macro to micro, big picture first, down to the weeds. And then, of course, uh, whatever story we tell, the customer's the freaking hero, not us. They are the hero. Eliminate the I, me. Yes. So you, you, you've mentioned writing several times during this. Is there anybody's books on writing that you have read recently that you would recommend? Like, I like Ann Hanley um, from Marketing Profs. Um, she's also a friend. and I like her anyway. There's uh, spe- specifically on proposal writing – uh, there's a book by uh, Bob Fry. Uh, I think he, I think it's Dr. Robert Fry. I'm not sure how it's said on the book, but um, I'm going to mess the title up. But it's basically government contracting for small business or winning government bids for small businesses or something like that. Okay, is Fry with an E? F R E Y, F R E Y. And uh, I know that uh, Lofeld Associates have put out a great book. Shipley Associates have put out great books. Um, these are all uh, winners. My focus is less on um, the the uh, technical skills for writing. And don't get me wrong. They're very, 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 very important to be succinct and clear and architect the sentence properly and so forth. I focus more on uh, the, the, the strategic side. And, and my favorite book that I read was called Predictably Irrational by Dan Ariely. Uh, and it was basically telling people how – people make or it explained how and why people make certain decisions and they gave real world examples that then I was able to use that in proposals and educational materials and marketing and sales documents and that's what I really dig on okay um but in here in in, I'm I'm holding Mm -hmm. you you can see we can uh in a trainer's guide you do talk about writing the slides yes so um, we have both seen slides that have literally zero white space. Yes, and it is not the that medium is not meant for that approach. Microsoft Word is meant to have the narrative displayed, not a PowerPoint presentation. The goal of if you wanted me to get into a few best practices for yes, presentations, uh, the goal is that we have for a presentation. There's cognitive curiosity, essentially. If the audience knows what we're going to say before we say it, they tune out. 
So if we put the text on the slide, they're reading, so they're distracted. They're not paying attention to the most important person, who is the speaker. And they're reading the slides, and then, then, when, they, then when they figure out, oh, you know what, I bet I know where he or she is going to go. I'm going to start looking at my phone or thinking about did I let the dog out? Is going to pee on the carpet? Is my daughter going to get her third nose ring? They're not thinking, I can't wait to hear what this person's going to say next. Also, when it comes to writing, if we have to put a title on our slides, which I do not recommend, but welcome to the real world where we do, um, I recommend that the title gives a person to care about what's on that slide, not our organization structure. Ooh, I really don't care about that. Instead, say, uh, find solutions quickly, and then the org structure shows you how to find those solutions. I'm going to have to spend more time with this book <laughs> cool. today because I have more presentations next week, three, um, busy week. Yes, um, you're a busy man. <laughs> you're good at what you do. Uh, you know, I, I – but, you know, let's, let's, let's talk about that for a second. You have stayed extremely visible on the graphic side for about 15 years or more, and that sustained visibility takes a lot of work. You know, I don't know about you, but, you know, I've had a couple people come up and say, I can do what you can do. I think you good okay. luck. Yeah. Go Have for a blast. it. You know, yeah. Molan Labe, come and take it, dude. Yep. Um, uh, but, but it's, it's, uh, it, it's day in, day out work. If you want to be good at what you do, you, you darn well better be ready to pay the dues. Yes. Okay. So I, I want to wrap up with, uh, with, with, a. Yeah, it's a question that I get or a statement that I hear, from, especially from smaller firms. Um, well, I don't need to talk to your proposal guys anymore. I bought this tool, and it, it'll it'll help me. Um, so, uh, and and usually I'll call three or four months later and say, "Is your is your win rate improved?" And they're going, "Well, not really. Uh, is it still zero? Uh, yeah." Um, so. Um, Tools in general, uh, is is there a one-size-fits-all? Are they worthwhile? Uh, tools are worth it, and no, there's no one-size-fits-all. Uh, one of the things that, um, that I was talking to somebody about is why would you even buy a tool? And it's really for efficiency. It's not a silver bullet. It doesn't work that way. And then uh, the, the secret to getting the right tool is to test it and test it again and test it again because during the demo, demos are awesome. But the demo is the ideal case. So get it as much as possible. Get it in, in your environment, my environment, and, and use it in a real-world situation. And there's a caveat. The caveat is, is don't expect it. Don't expect to be uh, a master user of that tool. Give yourself time to learn it. Because if, if we think we're going to buy a tool and press a button and now it comes a winning proposal, that doesn't exist. <laughs> What instead happens is we get this tool and then we learn how to use it and make our jobs easier and better and create better products in a shorter period of time. Yeah, I mean, you can go to McDonald's University and learn how to chunk out a uh, burger. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, are you, are you going to feed it to people for Thanksgiving? Um, but but all that being said, you ha you have built a tool, but it's not for proposals per se. I did. I, I, I noticed – it's kind of like you did with the book. I noticed there was a gap in the market. So I wanted to uh, – during my training, people say, this is awesome, Mike. This is wonderful. But I need, still need to make these graphics. 
uh, you've told me the value of visual communication and uh, I have to render them. And sometimes I don't have the resources to it, the money, the time. So I went out there and I looked for things. There's nothing quite like this out there. So uh, me and some really smart people created something called Build-A-Graphic. It's like Build-A-Bear, but it's called Build-A-Graphic. And the way it works is it's a PowerPoint add-in because a PowerPoint's ubiquitous. And most people, most non-designers and designers alike often get stuck creating things in PowerPoint, especially when it's graphics. Right. Me. Welcome to, welcome to the real world. So I looked at the fact that that's what the tool people use. So let's not let, – why not, why not empower people to use that tool to make what they need? Because that's the tool they typically gravitate to, the, the average user. So the way the tool works is you type your text in in PowerPoint and it analyzes all the keywords and phrases and gives you a visual representation of those. And all the visuals are, uh, are vector-based, which simply means they're completely editable. So the casual user can change colors, move things around, animate them, all those things that they'd want to do. And the library grows and grows and grows with the person. Cool. Yep. Is Microsoft going to buy this from you guys? I have no idea. I sold uh, a previous company, which is what I wish Build-A-Graphic. I, I wish <clears throat> that company was what Build-A-Graphic is. So I don't know. I hope not yet. I'm not ready. Well, it depends on the check. Well, that's true. As long as I can stay involved and help. You, I want to evolve oh, yeah, this tool. Yeah, you still want to play. Yeah, sure. I, this and, tool and they, makes a difference. But you're one of Microsoft PowerPoint top 36 <laughs> weenies in the world. So they're going to keep you around. I hope so. so. Final thoughts. Uh, final thoughts. Uh, boy, first of all, I'm stoked to be in this industry. I'm, it, one of the things you mentioned was something about uh, being a good presenter, and I know this is going to resonate with you, Mark. It's passion. Digging on what we do, loving what we do, wanting to help people, getting a contact high from being up there and geeking out. It really makes a big difference. And uh, I encourage other people to do the same thing. It's so rewarding. So valuable. You, you you have this exuberant personality. I come across more like Ron White. No, you do <laughs> not. You are you're you're infectious too. Your enthusiasm is infectious, my friend. Well, thank you, um, Mike Parkinson. Company is twenty four hour company two four hrco dot com. Michael, thank you very much for coming in, man. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for taking the time to listen, everybody. Hey, you. My pleasure to have you. This is not my day job. If you need some help on LinkedIn, if you need more leads, if you need to position your company better, if you're rebranding, if you're doing account-based marketing, if you're not leveraging LinkedIn fully, you're really missing the boat. Drop me a line, markamtower at gmail.com. And thank you for listening to Amtower Offcenter. You've been listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.